I think Jesus is coming soon. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I know that uh, others have thought that before. <laughs> and I think it's really, to be honest, I think that is something that the Holy Spirit works in the heart of every generation. It's just something the Lord keeps fresh in the heart of his people. The idea that he could be returning at any moment. If you read the New Testament writers, many of them had that same kind of anticipation and hope. So it's just something that it's the work of the God in us that, that we are expecting his return, knowing that it could be at any moment. But of course, now as we, we see what's happening just in the world today and some of the prophecy that we know now a little bit better as God has unfolded these things in these last generations, we, we really are beginning to feel like, my goodness, Lord, the uh, table is really set. The stage is really ready for you to come and, and return and begin to complete your redemptive work in the life of men and, Lord, in the whole earth. The Bible says that all creation waits eagerly. The whole, all the creation is waiting for the redemption that God has in mind that will be completed when Christ returns. And so the book of Revelation, as we know, is, is a book that discusses that very topic, the end times, those things that God revealed to the Apostle John through vision. John has recorded them for us in the book of Revelation. And as we look tonight, we'll begin to study some things. And I'll tell you, just more and more as I read it, I think, Lord, it, it could happen. It could, this, this clock could start tonight. It's so, we're so ripe and ready seeming for these things to begin. But let me pray and ask God just to speak to us tonight, and then we'll take a look at uh, Revelation chapter 6. We'll be taking a look, look at uh, the first eight verses of that passage, but let me pray. Father, we do thank you for just the communion that we enjoy with you during worship. Lord, when, a, when our hearts are truly set upon you, there is a spiritual reality that that just impacts our lives we're not serving just an idea it's not just an intellectual um, relationship that we have with you lord but it's it's spiritual it's alive it's real and father i believe that the that taste even as the bible says the holy spirit has been given as a down payment or a deposit a foretaste of that fuller presence that we will enjoy when you return or when we go to be with you. But, Lord, something of it is touched in worship. Something of that, that relationship that we long for is met when we draw near to you in worship. And we thank you for that, Lord. And I pray tonight also that you would speak to us now out of your word. Lord, as we look at end-time scriptures, often there is a variety of interpretations. Some of it, Lord, is a little confusing, and some of it, just to be honest, Lord, we, we don't really completely understand. And I think, Lord, much of prophecy is written that way, not to be completely and totally understood until you begin to fulfill it, and then it becomes clear. But help us, Lord. We want to have at least a a sense of what to be looking for, and also, Lord, even as Jesus said, to be kind of watchful and alert, to be looking for the signs when you see leaves on the tree, leaves on the fig tree, you know that summer is near. And so, God, we want to be a discerning people. We want to be sensitive to the, to the time. We want to be mindful of the time. We want to use the time that you've given us very wisely. And so I pray tonight as we study these words, God, that you will stir our hearts even more to be living for you. This is a season, a time to be sober and alert. God, help us and even awaken us tonight if need be. By your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Tonight we will be looking at four horsemen also known as the Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And it's the beginning now of Jesus Christ opening up the seal. Now I want to give just a little recap to kind of set our context again tonight. We took last week off and had our kind of our church meeting night, and so it's been a little bit since we've been in the study, but 
Just by way of recap, kind of review, you remember one of the key verses that I have been kind of referring you back to is that verse found in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, where Jesus told John to write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. And we really kind of believe that that's something of a key in interpreting the book of Revelation, the things which you have seen. And at that point, he had just seen a revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. He'd seen an image of Christ. Write that down, John. Write what you've just seen. Also write the things that are. These are the things that exist today in your current generation, and we know those to be the the letters to the churches, the church age, and Jesus speaking to the heart of the church through the seven letters. But also, John, you need to write the things which will take place after this, after the church age, after the time of the church. There are going to be other events, and I want you to write those things down as well. So we've come through the things which he has seen. We've come through the things which are. We've studied each of the letters to the seven churches. And now we are in that place where John is writing about the things which are yet to be. And we saw the last couple of times of study, kind of uh, John was caught up into heaven. An angel said, hey, come up here now. I want to show you things. And so his, his vantage point has changed. He was seeing this vision. He was on the island of Patmos, and he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. But now he has been invited up, and now he's seeing things from heaven's perspective. And what, we, what he first saw in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 was you know, the worship that was taking place in heaven. And almost as though the Lord was, was letting him see this heavenly praise and worship and that kind of to set the stage for what will now begin to unfold. And if you remember the Lamb, Jesus Christ came out and they worshiped the Lamb, all of heaven. And there, the question went out, who is worthy to open the scroll? And a scroll is there in heaven and all, no, no one was worthy but Jesus. He took it and he is worthy. And now he's going to begin to open that scroll. What is that scroll? I've given you just a couple of ideas that scholars have. Probably the the one that makes, you know, at least a lot of sense is that it seems to be something of the title deed to the earth. You'll remember that God in the garden originally gave man authority over the earth. He, create, he created him and placed him there and gave him really dominion over the earth, over the creatures of the earth. But man forfeited that during the fall. And that, that dominion was, was given then over to Satan. And oftentimes, Satan is referred to as the prince of this world. We know that he has great influence in the nations and great influence upon the earth. Man having kind of lost the, the rights of dominion in the earth. And even Jesus, you remember when he was tempted by Satan, Satan took him up to a high place and said, I have authority all over all these kingdoms. I'll give you these things. Jesus did not challenge Satan's authority over the kingdoms and things of the earth. So the question is, how does God redeem these things back? How does God kind of recapture the, the, the authority in the earth? And of course, we believe that Jesus Christ has accomplished that the cross, his redemption, not only for men, but for all creation. That is certainly one uh, sensible view of what this scroll represents. It represents that title deed and who's worthy to reclaim and redeem man and creation, Jesus alone. If at the very least, this scroll does represent the, the completed redemptive plan of the Lord. Whether you want consider it a title deed, whether you consider it just a, a the unfolding of God's completing com, completing His redemptive plan, I like what one commentator says: the unrolling of the scroll marks the beginning of God's wrath and judgment on sinful mankind, as the Lord takes back creation from the usurper Satan. And so God is now getting ready to unveil and open up this scroll. And each there are seven seals upon this scroll, and each seal represents a new event. God's going to now unfold what he has in mind as his final work in the earth. It's a time of judgment. It's a time of uh, coming against the sin and all that man has done. 
and also a time of coming against Satan and the enemy and reestablishing his kingdom. I want to give you some framework so that we don't just read through the scrolls and say, wow, that's a bad thing. Wow, that's a bad thing. And well, I wonder when that's going to happen. I wonder if I'm going to be here when that happens. And I want to give you a little more of a context. So I'm going to take some time tonight and I'm going to ask you to turn to some different passages with me. Because as we read through these scrolls, I want you to have a point of reference like, well, when is this going to happen and who's going to be here and what what should we expect? So much of what John reveals to us in the book of Revelation, it really is a kind of a complementary to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel and the book of Revelation have much in common, both prophetic of end times. So I'd like you to turn with me. Hold your place there in Revelation 6, but turn back with me, if you would, to Daniel chapter 9. The book of Daniel chapter 9. Something of the end time calendar is given to us through prophecy via Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel sees uh, or is given this instruction. An angel comes and reveals these things to Daniel. Daniel is praying. He's asking for God to give him some wisdom on you know, what to expect concerning the Jewish people. Daniel was a Jew there captive in Babylon, but he knew that Jeremiah had prophesied that the people would return to Jerusalem. They were there punished by God taken from their land. But Daniel is now seeking, Lord, when are you going to bring us back to our land? And the Lord gives him much more than just that information. He actually opens up all of the future concerning the Jewish people. And if you'll see there in chapter 9, look with me starting in verse 24. And this is uh, known as Daniel's 70 weeks. And this is a very important passage. And so much of our understanding of end times and some of the things concerning like the tribulation, the Antichrist, these terms that you hear when people talk about end times, much of it is it's anchored in this passage out of Daniel. 70 weeks or 70 units of seven are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Daniel, there will be 70 weeks or 70 units of seven. We know each day represents a year. And so then 490 years are determined for your people and your holy city to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision. This is going to be a completing of God's dealing with the nation of Israel. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, that would be Jesus, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now, quickly, 62 and 7 are 69, right? 69 weeks is what he's talking about. So there's, we know that there are 70 weeks determined, but he's now giving us what's going to happen through the first 69. Messiah, the prince, will, will show. And the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome times. So the Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt. The people are going to return to the land. Now, we know all of this was actually fulfilled historically. But then after the 62 weeks, Messiah, that would be Jesus, shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. So after these 69, so the the seven and then 62 weeks, a total of 69 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. Now we know that Christ was crucified and the people, notice there in verse 26, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, the people of the prince who is to come. Now this prince who is to come, we identify him to be the Antichrist, the people of that prince 
are going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. They're going to destroy Jerusalem. Now, who in 70 A.D. destroyed Jerusalem? The Romans. The Romans destroyed. They are the people of the prince who is to come. There's a prince that's coming. We'll find out more about him in a moment. But Daniel is receiving this revelation that, you know, the Messiah is going to be cut off. Sixty-nine weeks of the 70 are going to expire and Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. All of this, of course, has taken place. But the prince who is to come, he has not yet arrived. Now, verse 27. Now, we're going to talk a little bit in detail about this prince that will come. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now we're talking about that last week, aren't we? The last of the 70. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. There's coming this final week. The prince who is yet to come is going to make a covenant for a week. But in the middle of the week, he's going to break that covenant. And he's going to begin to actually defile the, the Jewish faith. And, and this we don't go into it, but this abomination of desolation, he's actually going to turn against those whom he makes covenant with. So Daniel receives this prophecy... And we don't have time to look at all the details tonight, but scholars have done the math on some of the, the, the calendar years and just incredibly to the day uh, Jesus Christ came, entered Jerusalem, was crucified, cut off. All of these things have actually taken place except the last week. And what has happened in God's calendar is that His dealing with the nation of Israel, remember Daniel was told 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. In dealing with the Jewish nation, the calendar has been paused. The 69th week came and God hit the pause button on dealing with Daniel's people and the holy city. And there has been this long interlude between the 69th week and what we are waiting for is this 70 week, 70th week to begin. And the prince who is to come is going to make covenant with the people. And in the middle of that week, so there is a seven year period that God is going to, that have not yet been fulfilled in Daniel's 70 weeks. Well, what's happening during this time that God has hit the pause button? Where's the Lord? What's what's he doing in the meantime? Well, we know that to be the age of the church, don't we? God's been pretty busy since Christ, hasn't he? But not dealing so much with the nation of Israel as the way he did in the Old Testament with them being the centerpiece. But now who's the centerpiece of God's work on the earth? Jesus Christ and his church, his people. So we know this to be the age of the church or the church dispensation. And I I'm not a I'm not a scholar on these things, but I'm just telling you just kind of a thumbnail sketch of how we interpret some of these end time passages. So we are now living in this age of the church. Jesus, when speaking to John, says, you know, write about the things which are what what's what are the things that are the age of the church. And so he writes what letters to the churches. There's no those letters aren't written to the nation of Israel. Those letters aren't written to uh, to Jerusalem. They're written to churches. These are the things that are. But now, John, I want you to consider the things that will are yet to come. And now we believe that those things that are yet to come, we are we are going getting ready to restart the calendar. God is going to push the play button once again. And the last week or the last seven years of what God has planned and God has prophesied are going to play out. This is what we believe we are now getting ready to look at in the book of Revelation. That there are seven years, one final week of history that God yet has to fulfill concerning prophecy out of Daniel. Interestingly enough, there are how many seals on this scroll that Jesus is getting ready to open? Seven. 
We believe that this, this opening of the scroll is in fact the completion of the last week out of Daniel chapter 9. We believe that these are the seven years, also known as the time of tribulation. And you'll, you'll understand that soon enough as we look together in Revelation as to what God is going to be doing in those last seven years. So this is what we are as a church kind of waiting for. We, we are anticipating that the age of the church is going to come to an end. That God is, is through the, during the time of the church, God is working through the person of the Holy Spirit in the midst and through the power of His church. He's also bringing in all nations, isn't He? It's not just about Jews anymore. It's about Jew and Gentile and all nations. In the times of the Gentiles, God is redeeming all tribes, all people, all races. That's the beautiful thing about the church. God is redeeming all men. Turn with me now, if you would, back to Revelation chapter 6. The tribulation. Why is it called the tribulation? Well, there are many references to this time And they are called, you know, there shall be great tribulation. Jesus referred to this time that way. This end of the age, this end of time, God fulfilling the final week of prophecy out of Daniel chapter 9. And we believe that this will begin as listed here in Revelation chapter 6. John has seen the, the, this whole stage and kind of everything being introduced in Revelation 4 and 5, and now the process begins. Let's take a look at these scroll, the, these seals of the seven, the seven seals of this scroll. We will only look tonight at the first four. That's all we'll have time for. We, we believe that the, 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 scroll, the scroll encompasses the entire time of the seven-year tribulation. And it seems, and you'll see as we read it, it seems that with progressive intensity, the, the events begin to unfold. The first seal we find in verses 1 and 2. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures, now you remember those are one of the creatures surrounding the throne of God, saying with a loud, with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conqueror. The first seal is a, an unleashing of a conqueror. This horse goes out to conquer. He has a crown. And he is symbolically representing what we believe is the very beginning of a t- the time of tribulation. Notice he has a bow, but no arrows. This is not a wartime conquering. This is a peaceful conquest. This is a time of peace just before the storm. We're anticipating that that someone will go out and it will be something of a deceptive peace, but an individual will rise to power and he will conquer and he will be crowned. He will have authority. He's not overthrowing by war or or, or anything like that. He's, He's not a military man yet but he is just simply going out to conquer. We do believe that this will be the time when the Antichrist comes into power, that that prince that is yet to come referred to in Daniel chapter 9. I'll read to you out of 1 Thessalonians. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. We do believe that this prince will come from the people who destroyed Jerusalem, the, some type of revived Roman Empire. We believe that, that it will be some leader over, over the Western world. Of course, Europe has come back together. They have now become something of a confederate, haven't they? They have unified. There is such a revived Roman Empire that exists today. So we would anticipate someone rising from that place based on our understanding of Daniel chapter 9. And this person is going to rise and he's going to go out and he's going to become a a world leader. He will conquer with cunning and deceit and a crown is given to him. Through his world accomplishments, he's going to be honored. He will pose as Israel's protector and leader. We know that he's going to make a covenant 
But he's going to break that covenant. Now, let me just ask you, just knowing what you know about our culture and just the the geopolitical situation today, is the world hungry for peace? Is the world ripe for someone who could somehow come to power and give us peace? In the Middle East, in Europe, in the nations, isn't, aren't we just looking for that person that will come and it's somehow through diplomatic means or some strategy of wisdom or, you know, some treaty somehow bring the world to a place of, of peace? I'm telling you, we are really ready for that. There is a longing for that. There is such a desire for that that I believe it, it's the very thing that will set the stage for someone to rise in power. In those times of great despair and desire, someone can step in and begin to fulfill and fill that need. That person will certainly be made a conqueror. That person will certainly be crowned. That person will certainly become a loved world leader. It's this world's longing for peace that I believe will set the trap. He will promise and offer peace, and he will be very skillful in in negotiating, and he will seemingly bring peace. But the peace lasts but a short while. Look with me to the second seal, verses 3 and 4. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see, another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to do what? To take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. Isn't that doesn't that sound like what Paul told the Thessalonians when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them. This conqueror goes out, he establishes peace there's no war. He just rises to power. But then the second seal is open and peace is taken. And you can imagine as the Antichrist de- desires dominance, it will, provi- it will provoke rebellion. As, the, as one begins to kind of you know, look to dominate his power, then, of course, nations will begin to awake. People will begin to realize This is not the guy we thought. This is not who we thought. And what will happen? There will be rebellion. There will be wars. People will begin to fight. People will begin to destroy each other. And you can just imagine with our modern day weaponry, what type of destruction people are going to be able to bring upon one another. This is the second seal. Just when it seemed like we had solved the problem, wars like never before. These are not just big wars. This, this is peace has been taken from the whole earth. It will be a time of dramatic fighting and warfare. The third seal, verses 5 and 6. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. So I looked and behold, a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. This third seal brings scarcity upon the earth. And you can imagine that war would bring, of course, famine. The scales represent the idea that there will be rationing. You know, there, there won't be enough for all. There will be, everyone will get just a little bit. This, um, this, the weights that they describe here, a quart of wheat, that's just enough food for one person for one day. And a denarius in their text here represents a day's wage. So you will work all day to just supply your own need. There will not be enough to provide for your family or for others. There will be scarcity. And you can imagine when war breaks out at at the scale that we're talking about here, that there's going to be famine. 
I mean, wars do bring famine. This is, we know this historically. And this will be one like never seen before. There will be great scarcity upon the earth. The fourth seal and the last one that we'll look at here tonight. Verses 7 and 8. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was death. And Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and with the beasts of the earth. This fourth seal, of course, brings great death. And with the wars and with the famines and with all that's going on at this time, you can imagine that there will be great amount of death. This pale horse, it's the color of death, like a corpse. Hades here is not referring to hell, but more so the grave. He will be, this horse will bring, he is the color of death and he brings the grave with him. If ever there was a picture of the, the grim, grim reaper, this is him. He comes bringing death through war, through famine, disease, disaster. A fourth of all people upon the earth. Today that would roughly be, I think, a billion people. I mean, we're not talking about a small crisis. We, we, we hear of the thousands that are passing in Haiti, and we, we're, it's tragic, and our hearts go out. But this has, there's no comparison to what is coming upon the earth. When these seals begin to open up, when God begins to reclaim the earth and bring both judgment and redemption and bring in the end of the age. I want to talk a little bit, and we'll close tonight with just a few thoughts about the church. You know, you read some of these things, and it, it's pretty frightful. And I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, Lord, I want you to return, but I don't want to be here when these things are happening. <laughs> so just hold off on some of this until I die a very comfortable natural death. <laughs> ripe old age, just fall asleep, you know, on my couch one day, and then, you know, let it rip. <laughs> These are not things to look forward to. Well, how do we reconcile some of the promises that God has given to his people, specifically the church? This, this opening up of the seals is the pouring out of God's wrath upon the earth. Very specifically, that's what it's mentioned. This is God is sending these things from heaven. This is what's coming from him. He's orchestrating these events. But God has made promise to the church and to those that are believers of faith in Christ Jesus that we are not destined for wrath. So how can we, during a time when God, like never before, is pouring out wrath, how can believers who've been promised that we will not undergo the wrath of God. We are not destined for wrath. Where are we going to be? I mean, if we're not here, if, if we're not supposed to be receiving wrath and this is a time of great wrath, we must not be here. Pardon me. That's what I'm thinking too. <laughs> and this is not just one obscure promise. This is a repeated promise through the New Testament that God has rescued us from this type of wrath. We are not destined for wrath. We have received mercy. Well, we want to look at a few passages to give our hearts hope tonight. But I'll tell you, this is a debated topic. I'm really betting on this interpretation. I'm really hopeful that this is the right one. I believe it is. But I didn't always believe that. I didn't always see these things in the Scripture. And I wrestled with this for years. And... Um, Honestly, it's, it's just been in the in most recent years after studying it and being exposed to it and really looking at it myself a lot more detail, really kind of come to this sense of peace and conclusion that I, I do believe that the Lord is going to rescue us from these things. If, you, if you're there in Revelation, just turn back to the left, if you would, to the book 
of First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians and chapter four. First Thessalonians four and look with me at verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or those that have already died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Well, look down. So, okay, let's pause there a minute. So Paul, and he says this by the word of the Lord. I mean, Paul was certain of this. God had revealed this to him. That there will be some that remain until Christ's return. Now, no one in Paul's generation ended up being those that remained, but... In some generation, there's going to be Christians alive when Christ returns. And what's going to happen in that moment? I mean, we're not going to, there's people that have died and we, we believe they go to be with the Lord, but if he comes and we're still alive, what happens to us? Paul gives us some insight here. We're going to be changed. We're going to be immediately translated into a spiritual realm and caught up with the Lord in the air. That caught up, catching away. Referred to often as the rapture, the great catching away of the church. It's promised here that when the Lord returns, the church, those that remain, are going to be caught with him and then we will forever be with the Lord. Now, of course, the question would be, well, that sounds good, but when does that happen? We believe that it happens before the beginning of the tribulation. The reason being is that the church age has to kind of end before the last 70th week can begin. So there has to be this, you know, the ending of one age and the restarting of the final age. Well, look down just a little bit from where you are. First Thessalonians chapter five. And here's that. Here's one of those promises that I was referring to in verse nine. For God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we don't have time to look at all of it, but if you look at that verse in the context here, he's still talking about this day of the Lord, but he's saying, listen, you don't, this day will not overtake you. You will not be in darkness because God has not appointed you to wrath, but to salvation. So we believe that God is going to catch his church away. There are other verses I'm just giving you really kind of a thumbnail sketch. There are other passages that really, we believe, settle this. Remember in Revelation, when John saw the vision in heaven, we saw the 24 elders there. We really believe that those 24 elders represent the church. So at the end of John's initial letters to the church, he's invited up to heaven. And who's there? The church represented by these 24 elders. So before this and and so all that John is seeing, this opening of the seals, he's seeing it from heaven's perspective. He's already with the church caught up in the heaven and seeing God now finishing out what he wants to do on the earth. He also made promise, uh, Jesus did, if you remember his letter to the church in Philadelphia, he said, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth talking about this time of tribulation, writing a letter to a faithful church, you will be kept from that. You will not have to endure that. All right, one last passage, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. A little more detail is given to us here uh, concerning the Antichrist, but also an important 
note about how the Antichrist is allowed to rise to power. Second Thessalonians chapter two. Now, I'm just going to read this whole passage. Just follow with me. I'm going to read starting in verse one and then I'll comment and we'll close tonight. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or trouble, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. Now we're talking about that Antichrist, that same prince of the people, the prince yet to come, that same one that Daniel refers to. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, verse 4, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining. Something is holding it back that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his truth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteousness, unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie and they that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, again, this is debated, church. There are there are a number of views I'm giving you our thoughts, certainly in Calvary Chapel, this is kind of our position. And as I mentioned to you, even in my own wrestling and trying to discern these things, this has just become more and more sensible to me. There is something that is restraining. This, this evil one has not yet been revealed. He can't be revealed because something is restraining that kind of evil coming forth in the world. Until he that restraineth is taken away. We really believe that the he that's restraining is the he of the Holy Spirit. But we believe that it is the Holy Spirit at work in the life of the church. And we believe that when the church is caught up, as we looked at in 1 Thessalonians, caught up with the Lord in the air, then, then the Holy Spirit, not now, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He can never really be gone. But his presence in the church can be removed. Because the church is removed. And when that happens, the restraint. Now, can you imagine the world without Christians? Can you imagine our country without Christians? What would, what would become of our, na- our own nation without, some, without the Christian influence? What would become of the state of California if you just took every single Christian off the, you know, out of the state? He that, w- he, he that restrains is going to be removed, and then this lawless one is going to have no restraint and he's going to rise and begin that final countdown. All right, so we'll close here tonight. My thoughts, just in conclusion, are this. Jesus is coming soon. <laughs> we are so ready. And it is a time to live sober-minded for Christ. It really is. These things are going to come to pass. And we want to be people ready to meet the Lord. What do you want to be found doing when that day of translation comes? I've shared this with you before. I hope I'm not on my couch with the remote control (laughs) taking it easy. I hope I'm, you know, I hope I'm in the pulpit declaring his word or on a missions trip. I I just hope I'm doing something, you know, worthy of his kingdom on that moment that he comes. And when time is is over for our our walk with him in the earth. But there is something healthy about that church. There's something healthy about believing in the imminent return of Christ. Nothing else has to be fulfilled for this catching away. 
There are other events that have to be fulfilled before he comes and establishes his earthly kingdom. We'll look at those things as we go through the book of Revelation, but nothing need be fulfilled to, for the Lord to come and catch the church away. It could happen tonight. And we need to be ready. We don't want to be left behind for some of these events. We want to be with the Lord. So we need to be not only for our own lives and our own lifestyle, but for all that we know and love, we need to be diligent and about the Father's business. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for these words of prophecy. We can almost see the storm gathering. And we acknowledge tonight, Lord, that we do not have all the answers, nor do we know all the mysteries. But it seems to me, Lord, that you have given us at least a glimpse, at least something of an outline, so that we would know the seasons, that we would not be completely caught unaware And that as we see these things and as we notice these things and as we study your word, Lord, that it would produce in us something of a diligence, something of a kind of a a wake up call in our hearts, Lord. That we would recognize, my goodness, your word is true. These things are sure. These things are happening even in our midst, Lord. I need to be about my father's business. So encourage our hearts tonight, Lord. I'm greatly encouraged to know that we are not destined for wrath. But for those that are in Christ Jesus, we are recipients of mercy. And so, Lord, we take comfort in that. And yet, Lord, there's also just this kind of an excited anticipation. Lord, I I really want to make wise use of the time that you give me. I pray that for all of us, Lord, as individuals and as a church in this community, in this place. What do you have for us, Lord? We want to be a light. We want to be, we want to make an impact. We can't do it in our own strength, Lord, but we ask that your grace would, would give us the ability to fulfill those things that you've planned for us, those good works that you've called us to walk in. And just as we close tonight, Lord, and just keeping our heads bowed for just another moment, I do want to give invitation tonight. If there's anybody here, you need, you need to come to that that assurance of mercy. Maybe you're here tonight and just the thought of the wrath that God will ultimately bring to the earth, just that thought has rattled your heart a little tonight and you recognize, Lord, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to meet you. I'm not ready to be with you. I don't even, I'm not even sure that I will be with you. You can be sure tonight. It's simply a prayer of faith and putting your hope and trust in Jesus Christ. You can't do anything to earn it. You can't work anything to make it happen. You simply have to receive it by faith from the gift that he's given in Christ. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to do that. I want to pray for you. Or maybe you're here tonight and you just recognize that although you at one time were walking close to the Lord tonight, you know you're not. And I'm not, I'm not even suggesting that you're not saved or you don't have a relationship with him, but it, it's just, it's grown so cold and so distant that you know, Lord, I'm not ready. I'm not really ready to meet with you in that, that kind of anticipation. I need to come back. I need to, I need to start living in this new perspective, knowing that you know, you're, you're going to return. I want to rededicate my heart and my life to you. If you're here tonight and you need to come to the Lord and get right with him, maybe for the first time, or you need to rededicate your life, would you just raise your hand right where you sit? God bless you. Anyone else? You as well. On my left. Bless you. Any others? God bless you here in the front. Anyone else? Raise your hand so I can see it. Two in the back. God bless you both. I'm going to pray in just a minute, and I see you as well. Any others tonight? Now listen, I just want to say to those that have responded, keep your heads bowed. I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. But I just feel the Lord wanting me to give you a word of of exhortation tonight. 
I know that you know when we look at some of these events and some of these things coming, there's you know there's a little fear. I mean, let's be honest; it, that can kind of get your attention. But I want you to know that coming to the Lord, the Lord desires not just that you would come to avoid the wrath. Although, believe me, that is a good incentive, <laughs> but. He wants to bless you. He wants to use your life for His purpose and His plan. He loves you. This isn't just, you know, uh, trying to escape wrath. This is about coming to a Father who loves you and died for you and, and is thinking about you every moment. You're always on His mind. He is ever mindful of you and your condition and your spiritual state, and He wants you to Himself to love you, to, to cleanse you, to forgive you, to bless you. That's my prayer for you tonight. Lord, I do ask that you would meet these hearts that have responded tonight, responded in honesty and simply saying, Lord, I'm not right. I want to be right with you. Lord, I pray that they would put their trust and faith in a forgiving and merciful God through Jesus Christ and the blood that you shed for us on Calvary, Lord, cleanses us from our sin. And that's why we're not destined for wrath, because we've obtained mercy. And Lord, I do pray that you would cleanse them and that you would reassure them that, Lord, they are safe in relationship with you. But Lord, even beyond that, I ask that you would minister to them the love and the compassion that you have for them and restore, oh Lord, the joy of your salvation into their life. To live for you, to serve you is a joy. It's not a burden. It's a delight. It's a beautiful thing to walk and live in fellowship with you, Lord. So comfort their hearts tonight, and Lord, comfort us all tonight, and may we just cling even, even tighter, Lord, to our relationship with you. I am so thankful. When I think of what's coming, Lord, I am so grateful to know you and to have my future secure in your hand. Lord, bless tonight, encourage tonight, minister, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.